0: Uh, like As I said to the boys and girls, we're starting a new sermon series on Sunday mornings. We're going to be looking at 1 Peter and the kind of overarching title or, or theme we're looking at is Exiles with a Living Hope. And we're going to begin at the beginning of 1 Peter chapter 1 and we're going to read verses 1 and 2. And this sermon's entitled, God's Elect, and it's just two verses, but I warn you, I once heard the shorter the scripture reading, the longer the sermon, so just uh, beware of that. But we're going to read from First uh, uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion, in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Amen. 1 Peter is a letter written by Peter, the apostle and disciple of Jesus. Peter, who we are introduced to in the Gospels, who we see have uh, amazing highs where he, he keeps his eyes on Jesus and he walks on water. But then we see his lows where he denies even knowing this Jesus who he had kept his eyes on. Peter writes this letter, First Peter, this epistle to um, 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 multiple recipients who we read of have been spread out across a, a vast area, um, spread out right across um, what we would call Asia Minor, which is kind of like modern day Turkey. And they're a large area, and, but it's a diverse people that he's writing to as well. But they had this one um, kind of thing in common, that they belonged to Jesus, they were Christians, but that they were facing persecution. They were facing hardships because of their faith. From their Roman neighbors, and, and Peter writes this letter really as as a way of encouraging them in their faith through the hardships and difficulties that they're going through. He writes this in the midst of their suffering to encourage them to keep on going. And that's one of the reasons I want us to look at this letter is that I know that many of us have struggles. Many of us have hardships and difficulties that we've been through or we're going through, or maybe we will even end up going through. But I want this to be a way of encouraging you that even in your suffering, even in your hardships, that God still has a plan for your life. And I've been wanting for a while to look at I was thinking of looking at the book of Job or Job in the Old Testament, where we would look at suffering and suffering and sovereignty, and how those two things go together. but we've ended up here with First Peter, and, and we will see later on in a few weeks' time, where it, what it means to suffer for righteousness' sake, that as God's people, we will suffer. We will go through hardships. We will have difficult times. It's a lie that many people think, those that are outside of the church think that, you know, we we just expect that life's going to be a bed of roses and we're going to get through everything and we're going to be smiling all the way. There are some bumps along the way as Christians and we know that, don't we? But we do not suffer alone. And Peter opens his letter by telling us these two really important points. In the Greek, the thing that kind of... Uh, is first and foremost, wants to carry the most emphasis. And he begins here by these two um, descriptive markers, these two ways of identifying the recipients of his letter. Elect exiles. He wants to tell them you've been elected, you've been chosen, but also that you're exiles. Exiles. And in a natural way, that's true because the dispersion that had happened, they'd been kind of spread out across a wide area of geography, but also kind of spiritually and theologically, we even are exiles as Christians now because we are sojourners. We are not part of this world. We are here, but we don't belong to it. We belong to a kingdom that will never be shaken. So we are in a place that actually we do not belong. This is not our home. As God's people, we have a place where we are going to that has been prepared for us, which is our home, which is eternity with God. But another important underpinning theme in this letter is that the church of God, as I've said, will suffer in this world because we no longer belong to this world when we are in Christ. We belong to Christ and to his kingdom. And as Christians, we are just passing through this world. And our eyes should be focused on where we are going, not what we are going through. Now, that's not to diminish what we're going through, because where we're going should impact how we live here and now. Our prayer, as we prayed at the beginning of our service, on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see heaven come to earth. We want to see God's kingdom break out in power here and now. But I want you to know you do not suffer in vain, and neither do you suffer alone. And in chapter 3, I think it is, we will spend more time looking at what it means to suffer as God's people. Peter shows us that the most crucial thing in our life is our spiritual status. You know, we play that game with the boys and girls where you, you can describe people, but I wonder if you were being described, if you were introducing yourself to someone, where does faith come in the list of descriptive things that you offer? Where is it in the order of your identifying markers? Because I would argue, and I think what we see from Peter here, is that it should be first, that we are God's people, that we are saved, we've been redeemed, we belong to Christ, we are in Christ. The thing that is most important is that we belong to Jesus. Why? Because that shapes everything else in life we go through. It shapes everything else that I should be. As a Christian, it should shape how I father, how I parent my children. As a Christian, it should shape and it should change and mold me as a husband and how I um, relate to my wife. It should shape how and what kind of friend I am to those around me, how I minister, what kind of person I am. Everything in my life should flow from that one central point that I belong to Jesus. It is the most important and most crucial identifying marker in the believer's life. It shapes how I deal with money and how I respond to hurt and how I, how I respond to injustice and the things that I see going on in this world. They should all flow from that one crucial and central point that I belong to Jesus. It is the, the most identifying and crucial identifying marker in the believer's life. And we see that Peter gives it first importance here to those who are elect. That's how he begins his letter. That's how he begins his letter. And he begins by showing this concise theology and this description of the gospel, this really incredible description of the gospel in verse 2. This is who you are. Remember whose you are and let that shape everything you go through in life, you have been chosen. You might be in exile, you might not be in your hometown just now, things might be rough, you might be getting persecuted, you're going through hardships, but you've been elect. You've been chosen. God has his hand upon you. And Peter opens with a Trinitarian introduction where he speaks about the foreknowledge of God the Father, sanctification of the Spirit and obedience, and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus. And in essence, what he is showing us in the most incredible way is this really concise theology of the work of the Trinity within salvation. It is mind-blowing to see. And he, be- he begins by referring, as I've said, to their election. And what this is, and often how this is spoken about within theology, is the theology of predestination. Now, even as I say that word, there will be different uh, kind of responses to that. Some people have just tensed up going, I don't like the understanding and the the thought of predestination. Others are like, here we go, a good reformed sermon. That's what I like to hear. And some people will be sitting there going, I have no idea what that means. And it's just going right over my head and we'll probably have everything in between. But the theology of predestination or let's keep it really simple This understanding of election is this understanding that before the foundations of the earth, God has chosen you to be in Christ. That you have been elect. We've got elections coming up in a few weeks' time, and we're going to be choosing who we want to be in government, in authority. But before the foundations of the earth, the understanding of predestination is that you have been predestined to be with God. You have been chosen to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, some struggle with this concept of election, um, of God choosing people to be saved. Uh, And what I want to say is, if you're struggling with it just now, I ask you, do not struggle with it from a philosophical point of view, because we need to let scripture be the thing that forms our understanding, our beliefs, and our thoughts. Rather than coming to scripture with philosophical um, and really kind of fallen understandings, let scripture be the thing that speaks into our life rather than our lives speaking into scripture. a really important life lesson that we let God's word be the thing that shapes us, molds us, and teaches us rather than us coming with our preconceived ideas and going to God's word and kind of trying to mangle it into something that we can hold onto ourselves and we find it more easy to believe and understand. Because any God that we have shaped and molded that we've kind of even maybe based on scripture but we've taken and gone I don't like this bit about God I'll change this and and you know move this bit over here that's an idol that's not the God of the Bible the God of the Bible is the God of the Bible and, and I, I say that as someone who's struggled with this understanding of election and predestination all my life but we'll journey through that together this morning for a few moments and maybe at the end you'll still struggle with it and you'll still disagree with it but that's That's on you. That's okay. You're a human being. You have your own mind. And if you want to discuss this, come and speak to me. I'd love to have a chat about it. But what we need to remember is that God is just. God is good. God is perfect and loving and gracious and merciful all of the time and in everything that he does. So there are mainly two camps when it comes to Who benefits from salvation? We have the the, kind of evangelical kind of wing of the church. We have this kind of uh, understanding that that we are only saved through faith in Christ's atoning work, which is a primary thing. It's a primary uh, part of theology that it's it's only through Christ's death uh, on the cross that we can be forgiven from our sins. And we can only be forgiven for our sins by putting our faith in Christ's death. But who benefits from that salvation within the church? There is different conversations and there's different, uh, different understandings that have all been kind of guided by Scripture. The reform position, which is where the Church of Scotland gets its theological roots from, has been shaped by theology of people like John Calvin. You might have heard of the, the, the thing Calvinism. It's John Calvin's kind of works that he's put together, which is based on other uh, earlier church fathers. But the kind of understanding that comes from Calvinism is that we can only be saved by God first calling us to himself. That in our sin, we are dead. We cannot do anything in and of ourselves. We are completely helpless and we are dead in our sins. But that God in his grace and in his foreknowledge has chosen a people that he will redeem for his glory for eternity that God has chosen us. It's not us that's chosen God, it's God that has chosen us. We are elect or, or predestined. And like I said, this is just referred to often as Calvinism. The other camp would be Armenianism, and, and their understanding is that, that, that Christ died on the cross, um, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, and Christ died on the cross, and that anyone that wants to come to God in repentance can be saved. That we can choose God if we want to. What I find funny is that many who disagree with Calvinism, they don't realise how much it's shaped our culture and even those outside of the church. Have you heard people say things like "What's for you won't go by you"? Have you heard people say things like "Kesarasara, whatever will be will be"? Those things understand that there is a plan in place. That if something's meant to happen for us, it's going to happen to us. Those things can only be true if there's a written story, a plan that I would argue God has because he knows the plans he has for us, Scripture says. And this concept of election or, or the, being chosen by God is so linked to the understanding and the central and core belief of the sovereignty of God. That's where this theology starts from, is, is God is sovereign. So if he's sovereign, everything else works out from that. He is in control. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He knows the plans. How can he know the plans? Because of his perfect, loving foreknowledge, Peter says. That's why Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the earth, because God knew. He knew. He's outside and above and bigger than time. He isn't limited by it. God knows everything that's happened to you, everything that's happening to you, and everything that will happen to you. Yet, he loves you, and if you're in Christ, I believe scripture says he has chosen you. This truth of predestination, I would argue, is so beautiful. And for me, the the, the comfort I take from all of this is, I am not God, and salvation belongs unto Him. But we were dead in our sins. And one of the things that I felt helped me most understand this was when I was reading the Gospels and I came across the story of Lazarus in the tomb. Now, Lazarus was dead, dead as a dodo, he'd been dead for a number of days. He didn't choose to get up and go to Jesus. It was Jesus who came and called his name. See, Lazarus was dead. And Lazarus, when he heard Jesus call his name and call him to life, couldn't do anything but come to life. Friends, that's what we are like in our sins. We're dead in our sins. Don't ever underestimate and downplay the severity of your sin. But let it help you understand the cost of the cross and the magnitude of the sacrifice that Jesus paid for your redemption. Paul in Romans 9 speaks of this concept of God's sovereign choice. Friends, this is God's world, He is God Almighty. And as He said to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. He hardens the heart of Pharaoh. We see him do that because he's God and that was his perfect will and part of his perfect plan. And in everything he does, he's just good. He's merciful, gracious, and loving. In everything that he does, he is perfect. But his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Is it any wonder the psalmist says, and I even find myself as I was studying this this morning, for for this morning, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I, I can't wrap my head around it. But that's because he is God and I am not. And he is God and you are not. But God's sovereignty doesn't relieve us from our responsibility. We still have a part to play. I once heard someone say, you know, you should preach like an Armenian, but sleep like a Calvinist. You know, preach and offer that free gift. And that's what we do. We offer that free gift of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to any and to all who will hear. But we know that if we come, it's because of his gracious hand upon us Because in his love, he has chosen you. If you're in Christ this morning, you are his elect. Isn't it mind-blowing to even think? The God of the universe, if you're in Christ this morning, what Peter is saying, what scripture teaches us is that from before the world even began, God had chosen you to be in relationship with him. it's amazing to see the, the work of the the and the activity of the trinity uh, at work and redemption in verse two in in the english translation that we've just read here the, it, it kind of disjoints it a wee bit the way it's been put together in in the original language what really is meant to flow together is this from this word elect Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father is really how the reading of it should go. Elect from the, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. And we see here three things that we are told about our election. Firstly, we're told about its origin, the foreknowledge of God the Father. Secondly, we're told about how it becomes a reality in our life through the work of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, we're told about its purpose, the purpose of our election, that we might obey Christ and benefit from his blood. And just as we see the triune God active in creation, we see the same activity here from the same Trinity at work within the redemption plan, salvation that God offers Peter also shows us this kind of past and present and future element of salvation here. Do you see that within the words, according to the foreknowledge, is kind of past tense. In the sanctification of the Spirit is present tense for obedience to Christ, that kind of future element. And we'll see that's one of the themes we see that Peter um, kind of journeys with is the, 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 the tenses of salvation, past, present and future. That we have been saved. We are being saved. And we will ultimately one day enter into the fullness of that salvation. Past, present and future. But what he's saying here is those who are in Christ have been drawn by the work of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that is active within someone's life. If you are in Christ this morning, it's only because the Holy Spirit has been working in your heart. Drawing you to him. But it's in accordance to the foreknowledge of the Father for the purpose of obedience to Christ. We see this beautiful uh, kind of mutual dance within the Trinity. It is so wonderful. Jesus himself says, No one can come to me unless the Father who has sent me draws them. When Jesus says no man comes what he's meaning here is I would say is that we do not have the capability to come to God in and of ourselves. Just like Lazarus couldn't choose to come back to life if he wanted. He was dead. It's only when the father draws us because if he didn't we wouldn't go because we're so sinful it's our default position i was just saying that to uh, one of our uh, relatives yesterday um, you don't need to teach a child to do wrong they just know how to do it if you've got children and you're nodding your head going absolutely yet yeah, just the other day now malachi doesn't know many words right but even in his lack of speaking he lied to us it was, it was amazing to see we came in and he'd emptied all of the books out of a cupboard malachi who did that Full. Full. It was Joel who did it. It was Malachi who emptied all those books out. Full. Joel's going back. I didn't touch them. I wasn't even there. You don't need to teach them how to do it. It's the default position of humanity is that we are born with sin. So if God didn't approach us, if he wasn't the one who made the first move, we could never get to him. No one comes to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws them. It's only by the gracious and merciful drawing of the Father that we come in accordance to his foreknowledge. The Apostle Paul reveals this as well, this understanding of predestination and election, when he's writing to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1. Listen to these words. These are, these are mind-blowing words. through jesus christ isn 't that just wonderful in love he predestined us so often when people think about predestination, they think about hate and uh, you know um, wrath, but it 's in love that God predestines. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul shows that kind of Trinitarian outworking of the plan of redemption as well, where, where he speaks about um, the blessed be the God of the Father. and He chose us before the foundation of the world. Then he speaks about um, that we should be holy and blameless. That's the, the process of sanctification it's, it's so that we can be adopted to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. We see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit there again in Ephesians, just as we See it here in First Peter, but it's all according to the purpose of his will. Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. What this means, what according to the God's foreknowledge means, that before the world even existed, before its foundations, God knew who the sheep of his pastor would be. You are chosen. If you're in Christ this morning, you're in Christ this morning because you are chosen. Redemption is founded in God, worked out by God, all for God. And how this election, which is grounded in the foreknowledge of the Father, is made visible in the present is through the the activity and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. It's how this plan of election uh, in accordance with the foreknowledge of God the Father is evident in this life. Pure, now, present tense. It's through the activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. When we become more like Jesus through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. God the Spirit takes your election, which is founded in the divine and perfect foreknowledge of God the Father, and makes it a reality in you through making you holy as he is holy. God himself says in Hosea 2, I will allure her. I will entice you. I will allure you to myself. That is the irresistible grace that God calls you with, the beginning of the process of sanctification in a sinner's heart. And if you're here this morning and, and you're here and you, know, you think that I need to start going to church more, or I need to start reading my Bible more, or I need to start being around God's people more, or uh, you know, this, just, in, just a Sunday service is not enough anymore, my, my appetite's getting bigger and deeper and I need more of God. That isn't you that's making that decision, that's making that up in your life. That is the Holy Spirit at work in you. And the purpose of your election, just in closing, is for obedience to Christ. Jesus said, if you love me, you will be my commandments. And this sprinkling um, and obedience, the, the, the two words that Peter uses here are the first, um, the first kind of references to the Old Testament. There's lots in his letter that he refers to the Old Testament. The first one is to Exodus chapter 24. Then Moses took the book of the covenant in which the Lord commands were written and read it aloud to the people. He said, we will obey the Lord and do everything that he has commanded. Then Moses took the blood in the bowls and threw it on the people. He said, this is the blood that seals the covenant which the Lord made with you when he gave all these commandments. see the, the obedience and the sprinkling of the blood. And how were those people there? It all started by God going and calling and choosing a man called Abraham. Abraham didn't choose God. It was God who first went to him. What Peter is showing us here by using Old Testament covenant languages to show us that God's purpose of our election and the purpose of the work that the Holy Spirit does in our lives is to bring us into a new covenant by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That God's election is for the purpose of his people who he knew and chose to bring them into covenant, into relationship with him, which is possible only by the shed blood of Jesus. It is so breathtakingly beautiful. Friends, as we close, Peter begins his letter by wanting his readers to know the most important and crucial identifying marker in their life. That no matter how bad things get for you, No matter how bad and tough life gets. No matter how low that valley becomes. No matter how dark the valley of the shadow of death may be that you are going through. We need to remember how excellent our spiritual inheritance is. That we are chosen. That God has a plan for his people. If you're in Christ this morning, you have been chosen. You are loved. And you do not suffer alone nor in vain. And that through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, God's plan in your life is to make you become more like his son, the Lord Jesus. All as Isaiah says, for his glory. It's why he's called Formed, created, redeemed a people. It's all for His glory. Amen. <clears throat> Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you that, um, that you love us. I thank you for the cross. And Lord, it's only by coming to you in faith that we are saved. And God, I know that we've touched on some really heavy topics this morning, Lord. And <coughs> Father, anything that wasn't of you, I pray that it would just fall away and be forgotten in the mighty name of Jesus. But God, we want to be a people here who are shaped and who stand and who are formed by your word. We're going to preach the whole counsel of God. I'm going to thank you for the plans that you have, that you're sovereign, that you are in control, And Lord, even as we go through all this presbytery malarkey and planning, all all these things that are taking place, Lord, help us uh, to keep the front and foremost of our minds, Lord, that we are your chosen people. That from before the foundation of the world, Lord, you knew us. That your gracious hand was upon us. Lord, not because there's anything good about us, but Lord, because you're merciful and loving. Lord, it's in love you predestined us. And Father, I know the struggles that it is to hear these things, and we often come with it with philosophical points and questions about fairness and all these different things, Lord, but Father, we just want to rest in the the security of the cross. Lord, I thank you that it's only by grace we are saved. God, we thank you for your goodness. And Lord, we don't want to shy away from anything in your word. We want to preach it. Lord, we want to wrestle with it. We want to let it impact us and change us and form us. Father, I thank you for the, the spiritual hunger in this place. Lord, thank you that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And we thank you for your grace that has called us to yourself. That amazing grace, that irresistible grace that amazing grace that is so sweet. (coughs) Lord, we know it's only by grace that we come. So we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.